This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Ingle Company, a podcast for like-minded people who want to learn to make smart investment decisions. I'm Maddie and as always, I'm here with my good friend Sophie. (laughs) Hello Maddie. We have a highly requested topic that we're covering today so I am very excited. But before we start today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wandri people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. So, Mads, sustainability, I swear to gosh, that is the one that's been coming up the most. (laughs) I know, it's been highly requested, (laughs) highly requested amongst the community, which is awesome because it's great to see that this is on everyone's minds. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's not on just our listeners' minds, it's on consumers, companies and governments. Everyone is talking about sustainability and everyone is talking about moving towards sustainable solutions. Yeah, well, I think especially coming off 2020 in Australia, you know, it was such a topical conversation because we had the bushfires early on in the year and then we had the floods pretty soon after that, followed by COVID. So, you know, all these extreme events and extreme weather events, it's really sort of shifting how we view things. Yeah, and I think this is happening globally as well. Like I remember a couple of years ago I went on a trip to New Zealand with uni um, and for the for global politics and a big conversation that we were having was around climate change and I just remember one of the scientists was talking to us about how all these Pacific islands and all these people are having to move off these Pacific islands because of rising water levels. Like it was so real and it was just like such a jarring topic. Yeah, pretty confronting. I mean, I think these kind of events are really creating a shift in sentiment in like society more broadly. There's so much going on in this space, which is great to see. And, you know, sometimes it feels like we're moving a bit slowly, but I think for the moment, let's just be excited that we're moving in this, in the realm of this sort of conversation. So we've seen the US re-signing the Paris Agreement. We've seen China, South Korea and Japan all make net zero emissions. The UK is doing some awesome stuff. They've proposed the ban of manufacturing petrol cars by 2030, which is like, that is soon. Like that's not that far away. I know, like the electric vehicle space is seriously heating up, but or I, cooling down, or <laughs> cooling down, cooling down the globe, You're right? <laughs> <laughs> cooling down the globe, <laughs> heating up the electric vehicle space. <laughs> no, but we also had the G seven summit recently when they would, and all the leaders were talking about climate action. And you know, there are definitely skeptics who have said that they they didn't achieve that much, but at least it's like on the agenda. Like we've got to keep pushing for it, but at least it's on the agenda. Yeah, agreed. I think one of the biggest things to think about and I guess consider when we're talking about investing in this space is that in the past, a lot of businesses have been sort of reluctant to move towards more sustainable solutions because there was this perception that it would be more costly. And 
I sort of think that in some ways this might be true. You know, a lot of the technologies are in their infancy, which can be a lot more expensive. But I think as consumers are pivoting more and as general society is pivoting more and really demanding more from the products and services that they're engaging with, you know, we're putting a lot of pressure on businesses to pivot with them or they're going to risk losing customers. So I think it's really cool to think about sort of the power that we have as consumers to like, you know, strong arm companies and governments into doing what we want in this space. And I think the cool thing as well is that if you're investing in these companies that are making a change, you are helping them grow and you're putting more money towards being able to create more sustainable solutions. So to help us break down this topic of sustainable investing, we are honored to welcome to the show, Kate Temby. Kate was previously a managing director at Goldman Sachs and is now a partner at Affirmative Investment Management, one of the world's first dedicated impact fixed income fund managers. Their mission is to manage fixed income portfolios that generate positive environmental and social impacts without compromising financial returns. Kate is also a Conscious Investment Management Committee member, and in 2017, Kate was a contestant on Australian Survivor Season 2. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Kate, we always start with three questions for our guests so that people can get to know you a little bit. So firstly... Do you have a morning routine? And if so, what is it? Oh, well, yes to that. Um, I absolutely love the morning. And so I get up and I exercise every morning. Um, so I have for years, whether I was still going into the office or working from home. So that involves either a bit of yoga or a run or a hit or some activity and then followed by coffee. Of course, (laughs) staples of my day. (laughs) And Kate, who or what influenced you to invest? Really good questions. Uh, I think I've always been interested in how the world operates and in understanding that, I always felt that you needed information. Uh, And very early on, my mother, I think, was part of the inspiration insofar I recall her having to ask for her super contribution. Wow. And I was perplexed that she was employed, but she had not been paid her super. And to me, it was the penny dropped that you need to know what you're entitled to because once I then learnt what super was and the power of compounding interest that you can very clearly see if you're missing out, then cumulatively, then that really is a challenge. So I think that was a start. And then secondly, I am fascinated with how businesses operate. And so that is both from a profit-making perspective, but also what they do for their people and what they do for society. And I think that thread has just really uh, worked through my career as I've spent you know, 30 years around um, different businesses and investing. Well, that leads us nicely to our next question then, if you're interested in you know, how the world works and companies, how they work. If you could be a stock or a company, who would you be and why? I want to be two companies, I've decided. <laughs> I have a, I, um, for two reasons, I have a deep admiration for Atlassian. For three reasons, uh, I think wholehearted founders just really do appeal to me. Uh, I think the entrepreneurial spirit uh, and building something from nothing is is just really um, inspiring. I think around Atlassian, I, I am also very focused on productivity 
And so any tool that can be delivered to organisations to make them more productive and people's work environments more efficient, and obviously that's at the heart of what Atlassian does. And then they're leaders in the space of the 1% pledge. So you may be aware that they came together with Salesforce some time back around really seriously saying that we're going to pledge 1% of our employee time or our product or 1% of our our profits. Uh, And finally, I'm very focused on clear communication and not being afraid of putting out targets and really telling your your shareholders and stakeholders why you've achieved those targets or why you haven't. And, you know, I think Atlassian, their corporate sustainability report is just a hallmark in that regard. They both tell you what they've achieved, but most importantly, what they didn't achieve. Uh, And so it builds trust in that transparency. Uh, But I do actually have to add, I like um, Chaboni as well, because I do love yoga. (laughs) Yes, I love Chaboni. (laughs) And the idea that you can take, you know, an old-fashioned way of producing yogurt at an old factory, I don't know if you know their story, you know, in, uh, they bought a craft factory, they weren't com- really caring for their employees, they had 1% of market share, they're now 50% of the global market share of yogurt, you know, they employ 30% migrants, they're the 1% pledge as well. Yeah. So from a product perspective, I quite like that one as well. Yeah, I didn't actually know that story about Chobani, that's great to hear. It's a good one, look it up on Google, it's a really cool story. So, Kate, I have to ask before we go any further, you were a contestant on Survivor, so please can you tell us what was that like? (laughs) Well, what it was like and how I got there was, you know, a mixed bag, actually, Maddie. Uh, So it was after I finished at Goldman Sachs, I had the summer off, and so my kids at that stage of 14 and 16 thought it would be a great idea to apply (laughs) Yeah, just after all your working at Goldman Sachs and then all of a sudden you just need a break, but instead you go on Survivor. (laughs) Uh, And we'd lived in New York for many years, so Craig, my husband and I are big Survivor fans um, and he was keen to go on as well. So we both applied and I think I fit the right spot uh, given, you know, I had that corporate background and, but I got fit and it was hard work. It was hard work. Uh, the weather wasn't that good in oh, Samoa. Uh, but it's fascinating experience and great to push your body, really push your body uh, in both the physical and the mental. Um, and, you know, we always wish that you, I, I wish I was there a bit longer, but it was a great experience. Now, you worked at Goldman Sachs for 17 years, and during this time you were a founding member of the Australian Goldman Sachs Women's Executive Network Committee. Can you tell us a little bit more about why it was important for you to be a part of this network? So I have a really strong view around diversity. Um, it's And as we know, I think there's no organisation in Australia or globally that's not talking about diversity but it's a really difficult topic to tackle. Uh, And so two ways that I, or probably three ways uh, that I get involved in diversity is one is just having a fulfilling and happy life in myself, being a woman who is taking part in different areas of finance, um, but also uh, being happy with the balance of my life. So I think that in the first instance. Secondly, um, really getting to know young women and helping them navigate 
and that's both within the working environment, whatever firm I'm with, but externally. Just really helping people figure out their own path. And second, and thirdly, I think it's being involved from a policy perspective. So the Goldman Sachs uh, Women's Network was really coming together with the leaders of Goldman's to figure out what to do next. And I think the biggest issue that we focused on was actually one of inclusion. So yes, we can have all the policies that we know, but day to day, do people feel included? And so we worked a lot on that, Sophie, around bringing people together to talk about inclusion and what that means. So I think I see it very much sitting together as the three prongs that I could do in regards to my efforts to improve diversity. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. I read on Twitter the other day, I think it was the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Netflix, and in her Twitter bio it says, diversity is, you know, meeting gender quotas, but inclusion is being asked to dance around the table or something like that. And I just thought it was so, it really captured the point beautifully. Totally agree. Yeah. So, Kate, today you are on the Investment Committee of Conscious Investment Management So I'm wondering, what led you down the path of a career in sustainable investing? I think it has been a path, (laughs) so that is fair (laughs) to say, uh, that I did not uh, start in my 20s thinking I want to use capital to change the world. That was absolutely not my starting point. My starting point was I really want to figure out how businesses work and, you know, as I said, deliver profit. Over time, I think once I worked out what delivering profit meant, I was then focused on how you care for people. So that was my time at Goldman's. I really think I thought, okay, well, I think at Goldman Sachs, we're pretty good at delivering profit, but how can it's really a people-led business? So how can we invest in our people and, and make people's lives better? And then people are thriving. And then once I left Goldman Sachs, I really sat back and thought, well, I've now got another 20 years of working ahead of me. So what do I want to do? And I'm not very good at recycling. My children tell me that all the time. So I'm not going to save the world through recycling. Uh, But my skills are raising capital and communicating to investors. So when I look at those skills and I sat back, and this was four or five years ago, thinking about how are we going to solve the problem and what are my skills? And I could see very early on there, um, this was five years ago, that technology was already there to solve the climate challenges. Uh, we also, the cost curve was coming down, you know, solar was very available. But what wasn't there was the capital. And therefore, I, I then, you know, the world's collided and I was I knew Stephen Fitzgerald, who's the founder of Affirmative Investment Management. And as you said, we're a global fixed income impact manager and he asked me to join the firm as a partner and I could really see my role there is to talk to the investors globally here in Australia but I do talk um, to investors in Europe, um, in the US um, and in Asia around what is the world of impact investing and is it possible to deliver market returns with impact. So I come from a very conservative, traditional base of investing, but I really believe we could bring those two worlds together. And then from that, I've expanded my portfolio to be involved in conscious investment management, and they focus on property, on hard assets, but with an impact around social, so social disability housing, um, some solar investments. Uh, And I'm also a board member of NetWealth, 
And you could say, well, NetWealth, they are a financial services platform technology business, but they too are doing things that are, are making a better future financially for people. Uh, so it is a really nice combination now of my portfolio and I'm a true believer that we can deliver returns with really great life for people to work as well as for the planet and socially. You can have it all. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess sustainable investing is very topical at the moment. It's something that our peers and our community talk about uh, a lot. And so we wanted to know, how do you define sustainable investing? I know you also mentioned impact investing. Uh, are they the same thing? Do they differentiate a little bit? I think, Sophie, it's it's a really good question uh, because it's so confusing. And just to put it out there, I speak to investors, both small and large, you know, large institutional investors, your superannuation funds, as well as your advisors, as well as your family offices. And the consistent view is it's confusing. So <laughs> when you're sitting there reading it, thinking, I'm confused, that is fair enough. Um, <laughs> there are some great articles out there that are very basic. And I think if we really base ourselves on the definition of sustainable investing is sort of like an umbrella. And then what comes out of that is a spectrum. So you could express your sustainable investing, your ambition to make an impact or a broader conscious way of investing through a whole different spectrum of approaches. One of them, and probably the first one that you saw was negative screening. So to say, oh, no, I don't want any coal. No, I won't have any tobacco. I won't have any um, human trafficking in my portfolio. So an exclusionary, we call that an exclusionary or a negative ESG, environmental, social or governance approach. The next one is to say, and we're moving along the spectrum here, is positive ESG. So I would like to invest in companies that have expressed do really good things around environmental, social or governance. One example that is very topical at the moment is women on boards. I would like to find those companies that have a good percentage of female board representation. And we can talk about if these are going to generate returns, but let's just talk about the buckets for the moment. The next one along, we're up to the third bucket, is impact investing. And impact investing is where you want to seek positive returns, but with a positive impact. So you want to express it, not an exclusion, you might do an exclusion as well, but you want to actually have a positive impact on the environment or social. And then there's others such as concessionary returns, and that would be where you're not expecting a market return, but you're doing it for the social. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about market-like returns. And the other one I would say is there's sort of in that same bucket is social impact bonds, where you say, okay, I want an outcome of better educated children, and then I'll get a return for that. But that's sort of not what we're talking about today. But it's good to have the full spectrum of, of terms because then where are we sitting? So I think today's conversation is really around that ESG, positive and positive impact. So what you're saying is that within sustainability investing, you can actually be investing in companies that are doing, you know, good for the social or environmental. But a part of sustainability investing is also the fact that you might just be investing in a company that doesn't have a particular purpose to do better for the environment or social, but you can exclude certain factors, let's say tobacco or gambling. Is that right? That's right. 
And it's like, I think you did a podcast recently on thematic investing. What's your theme? You nearly, and we can talk about this, you need to step back and say, well, how do I want to approach it personally? For my investment philosophy, what's my philosophy? And that's what people do. They say their investment beliefs are, I am a value investor, and how I want to express my sustainable investing is just through exclusions at the moment. I don't want to go to the absolute positive, but there are plenty of uh, clients of, of ours, but also organizations that are saying, I want to have 100% impact of my portfolio. Some say I just want 10% and I'm going to grow it over time. But it's a really good process to go through and think about how am I going to express it in my portfolio, either through direct stocks or through managers, and then you go ahead and execute that. So when we're thinking about how we want to, I guess, express that, is this process transparent with the companies? How do we know whether, you know, sort of which bucket they come into with that? It's a core question that the market (laughs) is really grappling with (laughs) because it's really easy to say all these great words and and I think the way that companies typically are reporting their ESG is through what they call as their corporate sustainability statement. So often that is included in their annual report. And I am one of those crazy people who like to read annual reports and corporate (laughs) sustainability statements, right? And there are a lot of pictures and there are a lot of wholehearted comments and it all sounds really great. But the question is, how do I know what they're doing? Because they write it themselves, right? Like when they're right, they're going to make it sound good. (laughs) Oh, there'll be plenty of photos of happy people and lots of green plants and all of that sort of stuff. And you think, how as an investor can you really understand? There's two ways I think that are really helping us with this, Maddie. One is regulation. So the market has cottoned on globally and we know that Europe is ahead of Australia. And let's talk about Europe in in a minute to look at the regulation. But regulation is our friend in this regard because what we need is standards. So when we pick up an an annual report now, we have some confidence in those figures because we know it's regulated, whether it's in Australia or whether it's anywhere. Now, I I started my career at uh, Pricewaterhouse and I remember way back when and I was chartered accountant and we were talking about globally consistent accounting standards. And Jerome thought that was just like, how are we all going to speak the same language? The importance of getting there was that then we could read financial statements with that confidence. And that's exactly where we need to get to now with environmental and social and governance disclosures. And we're not there yet. We're starting. So you might hear terms when you start digging into this area around taxonomy. It's a funny word, you know. So it's an EU taxonomy. Now, what that is, is really just a simple way of saying translating the environmental and social objectives of the EU into exactly specific targets and specific ways of talking about your portfolio and allocating to your portfolio. There's also regulation, SFDR, I can give you all these funny acronyms, but what they're getting to is legally embedding what you say is what you have to do. And this is why it's positive, because then as an investor, we can read the different statements and say, ah, I can have some reliance on that. In Australia, we're not there yet 
across that area, but one area we are there is modern slavery. Um, you might be aware that a couple of years ago, Australia enacted in law the modern slavery statement. And what that meant is that any organisation over a certain size is mandated to report a statement. But what's very clever with this, it's not a policy, it's a statement. So it says, this is what we do with our employees and our supply chain. So all of a sudden, you've got to go right through all your suppliers. Even if they're not big, you've got to ask for them to provide their modern slavery statement. And then you have to put targets and say, what are you going to do to improve that? So that's a positive. So there are lights everywhere about where we're getting better information. But as an investor standing back, it's why then you would say, maybe I need to use an asset manager and a fund manager, professionals that can go through this data and have their methodologies and understanding, because it's very technical when you really need to peel back the onion to see what people are doing in these areas to help me select different names, whether it's stocks or property investors or fixed income investors that are really authentic in this space. The other way, um, finally, is we've got some of those rating agencies like a Morningstar or a Mercer or, you know, Lonsec that are starting to rate. So there are external parties that will say, okay, this is your rating and we'll, MSCI might put a rating. So there's different ways, but you're right, there is some ways to come uh, with your consistent disclosures. Yeah, one of my favorite resources, just as a really like quick and easy one to check, is the tab on Yahoo Finance. They've got a tab for sustainability and you can just go in and have a qu- really quick look at how they rate. And it's a great starting point to sort of figure out where the company's at. Excellent. So, Kate, this leads us nicely into a term that we have heard a little bit in the sustainability space, which is greenwashing. We're wondering if you'd be able to explain what this is. So, don't we love new terms? Just when you think you're you're understanding an area, oh, <laughs> all the jargon, all the jargon. <laughs> so it means that when you are saying that you've got a very comprehensive approach to environmental disclosures, but really it's actually not truly authentic. So you are it's sort of what we were talking about in regards to. Saying you're do some you're doing something in the environmental area, but maybe it's not as authentic as what one would have hoped. So there's different areas around greenwashing and um, and how it's evolved, but it's a very broad term to just really say, are you authentic? Um, we also have terms such as rainbow washing. So um, you might have, have different areas around whether it's blue bonds or whether it's whatever you're pursuing across uh, different um, areas around your portfolio, it's exploding in that area of really, are you really doing what you say you thought um, you were intending to do? Okay. So I think that's a really good sort of lead into our next question, which is, do you have any tips for, I guess, the best way that we can really understand whether a company is sustainable or not. We know that recently or in the news this week, there was a story about how BetaShares has removed Tesla from their ethical ETF. So, you know, that took a few of us by surprise, I think. Do you have any tips for how we can really sort of drill in and figure out what what's true and what's not? 
I think it's trying to find a very uh, a, a external party that you're confident in their assessment. <laughs> because as you pointed out, it's so subjective, this area. So Tesla, great example. You might assume that, well, look, they're pursuing renewables. They're, how, how can we uh, not see that they are sustainable? But through a certain lens, and whether it's beta shares or whatever lens they had around, was it their corporate behaviour or I'm not quite sure about why, why they chose an exclusion, they did choose an exclusion. And so we, I think we have to accept there's going to be inconsistencies of the view. So it's working. I would really focus on is it a fund manager that you're going to rely on or is it an, or a data feed? Actually, Yahoo, whatever their data feed is, is it MSCI? I'm not sure what their data feed of their filtering, but I'm going to rely on that. Because it's, you know, remember, I assume most of your listeners are not full-time investors (laughs) (laughs) and you are not meeting the companies in the detail. So you are relying on publicly disclosed information. So I would research and say, okay, I'm going to use that filter and that's, and I might read about the company and I might disagree on a certain timing or something, but I think you really just have to find that third party or that fund manager. Um, there are fund managers in, out there um, in the equity space, let's say, a very well-known fund manager is Generation. Yeah. Um, they are one of the largest is you, you, early on, very successful uh, equity, um, as we'd say, impact uh, or positive ESG manager. Now, they, I would say, look on their website, read their huge amount of data that they provide, really thematic reports. Go to those specialists who have been doing it for some time uh, and then you will really learn and you'll be guided by that group of 100 investors you know, that are thinking about this day-to-day. Similarly, at Affirmative, we invest in fixed income. We are seen as world-class in our impact measurement. So not only identifying those that have a pos- those stocks that have a positive impact, but also measuring it. Because remember, we've got to make sure, did the company do what we thought they were going to do? We have a big team uh, that's just focused on that. Um, so one person alone doing it as a sidebar investment, I, I wouldn't even tackle it. Uh, that would be my preference is that you find experts in the field, you really look at their websites. There is so much material that is available, that's publicly available um, to any investor. Um, go on and build some confidence in that area and start following their views and I think you will learn a lot. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because, as you said, not everyone is doing day-to-day trading and they it's more of a passive approach. And a lot of our community is in, investing in ETFs and we don't always know every single company, the tiny companies that are in, in an ETF. So sometimes you do need to rely on the people that are looking at it every day. I know with the example that Maddie used with Ethy dropping Tesla, I think one of the reasons was to do that part of the company was using forced labor. I don't know whether those claims are, you know, correct or not. But as an everyday investor, that's really hard to know that stuff. You really need to be sourcing information from people that know what they're doing. <laughs> And and to know um, it's a moving feast too. Do we know a forced labour is not something we want to accept? But what is the plan? What is the forward-looking plan? And how are they moving to that? I think that is, and we'll touch on transition. 
But I think it's a really important part, Sophie, that um, you know, finding those, comp- those sources you can trust. We are going to take a quick ad break for our sponsor and we'll be right back to chat more sustainable investing with Kate. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Kate, historically, there has been a bit of a belief that to invest sustainably means or meant to compromise your returns. So I do think that there's been a lot of commentary recently about how this perspective is really changing now. What's your view on this? I am a strong believer that there are market-like returns and sustainable investing and impact uh, that can be achieved. Uh, I do think, though, in tying together what we were talking about, authenticity, uh, that you really need to have experts who are really attacking the problem and identifying the issues. Um, I think there are some screening that goes on. You know, we know that screening for bad stocks, or but my view is it's a far more active way of, in, of investing. Uh, and I think through that, you can identify uh, high-returning opportunities and having an impact. So I'm a true believer. I think what has helped us uh, is these markets are deepening. So we know that fundamentally, if there is a wider opportunity set, then there is more opportunities to generate returns. So this preface that is it doable, it is absolutely more doable than what it was 10 years ago. Uh, Whether we're talking about equity markets uh, in regards to particularly transition, uh, there are so many organisations and companies that we know that are moving from the old way of doing approaching to a more efficient way of running their businesses and in that movement and as we say often whether it's going from bad ESG to better ESG that is an opportunity for alpha an opportunity for returns so that's important Uh, as well as there are companies that are already highly efficient operating in these new industries whether it's renewables or you know socially attacking problems that are highly efficient and they're very profitable and strong businesses. Uh, So I don't think you're trying to find a needle in a haystack anymore. (laughs) I I think all organisations are really focused on how they can actually improve their business. And one thing I would say um, that I, in joining Affirmative, you know, six years ago, um, five or six years ago, I really spent a lot of time across every asset class. You know, understanding how we are investing and where the opportunities were. 
I was just so blown away from a fixed income, a funding perspective, about the problems that the impact bonds or green bonds that we call them are solving. You know, they're as diverse as immunising children in sub-Saharan Africa, which is absolutely important, to retrofitting refrigeration systems to a more renewable platform to building hydro plants. It is so diverse, but they are all problems that need to be solved for businesses to become and societies to become more efficient. Yeah, and I think like even climate change is a really good example of this because if companies aren't embracing sort of more sustainable ways of operating, then they're going to have to endure the costs in the future. So I think, you know, we're seeing more and more rhetoric around how you know, companies have to embrace these things. Otherwise, actually, it's going to be more costly for them in the future down the track. And I would say there's two pieces to that exactly, Maddie. One, um, and you can think about two buckets, and this is another good term, climate mitigation or climate adaptation. So mitigation is where what am I doing to stop it on my business? you know, to protect it, but what am I doing adaptation to adapt or change my business? So they are two areas where we are seeing that are are quite um, clear terminology and clear paths that people are taking on. And I think we're working out adaptation is really important uh, and costly, right? And that's what we're seeing governments are doing globally, uh, bringing in the infrastructure spend. They are adapting their their businesses um, and their approach to infrastructure globally. Uh, so it's it's really important. I would also see the regulators. You know, ASIC in Australia, as a corporate director, <laughs> um, they are saying that one of the risks you need to consider is climate. So no longer is it just around financial um, uh, liquidity risk, all these risks that we're used to, actually, as directors, you need to think about the impact of climate risk on your company. And I think as well, like the consumer now has so much power. We can really influence our businesses and our governments to kind of make that change. So it's not just that they have to respond to those risks, but it's also that we are wanting it as society. So they have to respond to us as well. I mean, we saw uh, a good example of that is the Oatly, the oat milk that's just um, gone public and it's it's share price because that's what people value and it's what they care about. But I wanted to ask, you know, it's really important for, for example, for Maddie and myself that we're investing in companies that do align with our values. And, you know, I'm just one person and Maddie's just one person. You're just one person. When you're giving your money to these companies, what are you helping achieve? It is a good question because we could all sit here and say, okay, if I put my one milk bottle in the right recycle yes. bucket, is that doing I always anything? think that. I mean, I, I love recycling, but I'm like, is <laughs> it going to the right that. recycling place? I, is, is it? it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I use that analogy because if I put my one dollar into my one company that I think is making a better effort, is it really making a better effort? So in doing that, A, we talk about it. We we say, oh, is that bucket the right bucket? Oh, is that company the right company? And I think that in itself is really important because all of a sudden we're not just talking about where we throw the rubbish, you know, green bin, other bin, and then does it all go together? Or, But then we start thinking about, well, where does the rubbish go? And all of a sudden we start a bigger conversation of saying, oh, should we be sending our rubbish to to Asia? 
And then we are sort of thinking more broadly of it, wait a minute, what's my council doing with my, you know, my compost? And then I might start asking my council about my compost, but it's not actually about the, the milk bottle that I threw away or the milk carton. So I use that analogy in the same way that I think, okay, there's my dollar I've invested in a company I think's doing a good thing. Okay, let's say I'll invest in Atlassian. Ah, oh, what else are they doing? And then I start asking broader questions about the rest of the portfolio and I think, oh, 1% pledge, let's say. That's a great concept. And what, what other companies are doing that? And is that symbolic of their bigger behaviour towards their employees, the environment socially, and also building a sustainable business? So, yes, you could say your dollar doesn't go anywhere, but I think knowledge goes a long way and conversations go even further. So, Kate, as a director of NetWealth, which is a wealth management business, we're keen to hear what is the board of directors thinking about sustainable investing and where do you sort of see the sustainability trend moving into the future? So, I think the trend, and we've covered a lot in this conversation, uh, is both top-down and bottoms-up. Top-down, we're seeing regulation. So as a director, uh, the director's responsibilities are both from the regulator around what risks you need to think about, from ASX, what rules you need to disclose, but importantly, from the bottoms up, how are we building a sustainable business? So how are we building it from a profit generation perspective? How do we look after our people? And actually, how do we look after our environment? Uh, so I think every director is, is feeling that the temperature has increased around uh, sustainability from what you're hearing from your employees, what you're hearing from your stakeholders, but also what you're hearing from regulation. So absolutely moving forward uh, in regards to articulating what we do. I think many organisations actually do do a bit, but actually haven't had the opportunity to really write down what they do and actually and, and articulate their targets. So net wealth is going through that process. Um, secondly, for net wealth, because they're a, a technology company, a platform that provides uh, investments to advisors and underlying um, investors, is providing more options around impact investing and around sustainable investing. And that's happening over time as more managers are coming and offering different investment capabilities. So really expanding that. And finally, doing what we talked about, about finding a good external rating system so, so we can educate uh, the investor around exactly what we're talking about, what's good, what's bad, what's improving and what isn't. So really addressing it on all of those spectrums, uh, but making huge progress. Yeah, we need a little like rating system on, I don't know, a certain platform and you can look at a company, it's either like one, two, three, four, all the way up to 10. And if 10's the best sustainability stock you can find and one's not, it might might not be a great system, but would be good for us. <laughs> and Sophie, that, that is coming. That is coming across specific equity names and managers, investment managers. So it's there with different areas, but you are going to see wholeheartedly it be embedded in platforms and in everyone's conversation. And so portfolios can be built much more easily. Um, and I would say that I, I speak to advisors and you know, three years ago, it was, oh, no one says impact investing is a bad idea. You know, everyone wants to talk about it. But then 
three years ago, oh, but there's not many people wanting to actually invest. Now it's, yes, we want to invest, but how can you help me build a balanced portfolio or help me find the stock? So we are in a better position where as soon as investors are asking for that, the service providers actually have to respond. So the future's bright. Yeah, I'm excited to see in the next 10 years where it all goes. I mean, 10 is a short period, but, you know, 10, 20, we'll be having the same conversations for a long time to come, I'm sure. Now, Kate, each episode, we have been asking our guests to add a stock, company, news, story, trend, industry, anything that's of interest to you at the moment to our watch list. The purpose of this is to get people thinking outside their box and broaden their horizons in the investing space. But we're not financial advisors. This is purely for educational purposes only and doesn't constitute any financial advice. So we would like to ask, what are you bringing to the watch list today? So consistent with, uh, I think, some points we've talked about, uh, I am really fascinated by transition. So thinking about both old world names, whether it's Telstra or whether it's new world names, you know, say Atlassian, how are they moving into their next five to ten year phase? Because you can have, and we've got examples already in Europe where we've had old utility companies transform to be now 80, 90% renewable companies. And so that opportunity to go from old ways of operating to more efficient, cost-efficient ways, better ways to treat the environment and your employees creates alpha it does create returns. So really have a mind and have a sort of a mind around that and thinking, okay, what is this company doing to go from where it is now to where it is in the future? And companies are going to tell you about that. That is a good news story. Um, so it could be in particular sectors such as plant-based food, right? That's a disruptive industry. Very exciting. You talked about oat milk, right? We all know what is growing and trust your instincts. You know, I think one thing um, I know both of you talked about on this podcast is be interested in what you're interested in. That is really important as a consumer. You know, why are we seeing online, whether it's, you know, cosmetic players, why is some, you know, achieving more than others? <clears throat> so trust your instinct as a consumer but also as to monitor where society is moving. And don't be afraid, I think, in that, to ask people of different generations. Because what you are surprised about, and I think this is really interesting, when we were raising funds uh, three years ago in Europe, much more advanced in regards to impact investing than Australia, we would have thought it was a millennial who was supporting this initiative. Well, actually, it was the more retired generation that wanted to leave a legacy for their grandchildren. So they had established their wealth and they actually wanted to make sure they were investing it with purpose. So while you have your own lens, talk to other people about the lens and then you might get a thread and you'll see that transition and that's an exciting area to invest. I was so looking forward to hearing what you brought to that question because I just knew you would have a great answer. So I think that's really interesting and it's such a great way to think about um, sustainable investing because often we think that it has to be the newest companies doing the new cool things. But I think you're right and, and, you know, Europe has demonstrated it beautifully that 
actually some of the oldest companies can really transform their businesses. Yeah, and I'd add an example of from social. We've we've talked a lot about the environment on the on the conversation today, but if we think about conscious investment management, so we invest, we partner with charities to solve social and environmental problems, uh, and then we help bring capital to the property. So we do a lot in social disability housing. So that is an old problem of how we deliver health housing suitable for disabled um, cohort in Australia. Well, by bringing and really helping, that's one of the charities or two of the charities that are very established in Australia, but bring capital to that problem with the quality of the governance to make sure that the residents are well looked after, that movement is going to actually magnify and expand the impact that that smaller charity can have. So it's a similar example. So we can reach more socially disabled people and deliver a better service on a better long-term outcome. That is going to give you returns. So it's really broad, but keeping that in mind of what's the transition and where can the capital go to magnify the impact whether it's environmental or social, uh, is really exciting. So, Kate, we ask every guest on our show the same final question, but we are going to put a little bit of a spin on it related to sustainability today. We're wondering what piece of advice would you give to someone who is getting started investing and who really cares about wanting to create a better world but isn't sure where to start? It is a good question, and I would say uh, find some investors that you really trust. So we've talked about a couple of names, but there's a number of them out there. Uh, and I would read what they're talking about. I think it's hard, it's really good to read the paper, AFR, etc. But we all know sometimes it gets a little sensationalized. But if you look at trusted advisors, um, Responsible Investment Organization of Australia, RIA, is R-I-A-A, go on their website. That's all they think about is companies and asset managers who are doing positive things or whether it's generation or affirmative investment management or conscious investment. Go on the website and just read and learn because they are more advanced. Those investors are doing it 100% of their time and you will learn. You will learn and, and then become more confident about what you're passionate about. Uh, and it's an exciting time, and I think it is being integrated into the mainstream more and more. So there's no shortage of learnings. Uh, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's really trying to navigate authenticity and finding companies and, or managers who really do what they say and can really make a difference and deliver those returns. I love that. I think we always tell people to try and do as much research as possible and I think you suggesting that you should find some people that you love and trust and read their whatever they're researching, I think that's a great point. Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We've really loved chatting with you. This is such a popular topic that people have wanted to hear about. Before we kind of sum up, is there anything that you want to plug, social media, LinkedIn, your work? <laughs> I would say um, just keep searching for really interesting um, people that you want to follow. Um, I think another really um, good in, in this area, uh, John Threadgold does a great podcast. Um, so I don't know if you've 
aware of his podcast. Uh, but I think there are some really good people out there. Um, I'd plug that one. I, as I said, um, I think this is a long conversation uh, and I think we're on the right trajectory, uh, both from a regulatory point of view, but the bottoms-up investors are calling for a higher bar. And with that, we know it creates the flywheel effect, right? We have momentum on this. Um, and I'm just so excited that, you know, your, your podcast is outstanding, that it's bringing information, but it's, it's really taking away all the myths and, and bring plain talk to it. Um, so I expect we'll, I'll come back and we can do another, another update as this is evolving. You know, this is a really exciting and evolving topic. Um, so there's plenty out there. Thank you so much for coming on today, Kate. You're welcome. You're in good company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of You're in Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In a spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Your Inkwood Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people together. 